a, a little bit of a sense of, of the plan this morning. And um, we this is the last uh, sermon in the series, the Heaven series. And um, and so as we've kind of made our way through some of those practical questions and and um, we're kind of coming out the other side, what I really want to try to do is give you the center of it all. And um, and so it's going to be a little bit of a another high altitude view with the uh, with the focus being what is what is what is the end all and the be all if you will of eternity and God's plan for us in that and um and so this morning I think as we uh, work our way through Ephesians you'll see that and hopefully it'll provide a, a little bit of a practical impact for you um as we move forward in life So Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, it's the word of the Lord. Let's read it together. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Father, thank, thank You for Your Word, for the encouragement that comes to us from it. And now as we look into it this morning, we pray that our meditations upon it and the words of my lips concerning it will be acceptable in your sight. And Father, we do pray for eyes that are open. We pray for hearts that are plowed. Father, as we zero in on the central focus that this text has for us, that Father, you would move us towards yourself. We would pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, as we look at some final thoughts about eternity, what we're going to look at as we uh, look at this text is first, 
We're going to talk about the fact that God has a plan. Second, we're going to talk about where God's plan ends and begins, namely the person of Christ Jesus. And finally, we're going to talk about how God's plan is all for his glory. So in this first section, as we, as we look at the text, one of the, if you were to go and, and read a commentary and look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1, this section that we just read to you, uh, verses uh, 3 through 14, is, is, a, is a long chunk. It, as in the original text, it's 220 words. And those 220 words are, you English majors and, and you know, the, the English uh, folks here in the room that, that love that sort of thing would, uh, would be astonished to, to know that the text has, in, in the Greek, no punctuation at all. It's one giant sentence that's just smashed together. And so as we work our way through it in the English translation, we've chopped it up, and it's somewhat difficult for us to go and to find uh, that, that central focus. But, but what we know is that the, the central nexus of the passage comes out in verses 9, 10, and 11. And so that's where we're going to spend our time looking this morning. And, the, and, and first, just talking about the fact that God has a plan. Now, if you think this is obvious, you probably haven't been listening to the world and you haven't, uh, you haven't been uh, engaged with, with uh, modern culture. Uh, Richard Dawkins, who's a noted popular atheist of today, has said that the essence of life is statistical improbability on a colossal scale. John Paul Sartre famously said that man is a useless passion. It is, a, it is meaningless that we live, and it is meaningless that we die. And who can forget Shakespeare's Macbeth? Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage, and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. That is the modern view on who we are and what this is all about. In essence, you and I, for the modern man, are merely a collection of molecules and atoms that have come together by random chance. And because of that, there is nothing for us. That Life has no real substance, no real meaning. This is the exact opposite of what the Apostle Paul is trying to say here. (coughs) Excuse me. In verse 9, if you look at it, he talks about the mystery of his will which he purposed in Christ. The mystery of his will. Now, one of the things as we worked, we read through the text, I hope you picked up and you sensed, we can't go through and, and dissect every part, but I I hope you heard those words that were coming through. Those words that challenge us, right? Uh, Even as good Presbyterians, that he has predestined, he's chosen, he's, he, he has laid it out beforehand. All of those indicate to us that God has a plan. 
And the mystery of His will that He has purposed in Christ, He has made known to us. God has a plan. But the philosophies of this world tell us there is no grand plan. There is no grand design because everything that happens to us is just random. And because it's random, there's no hope. There's a lack of hope. And there's a real and there's a a palpable despair. And you sense that and you feel that as you listen to culture, as you as you hear the, the modern tale of man and, and as you read the, the textbooks, how is it then that we can just keep waking up day after day, eating our Wheaties and going about daily life and engaging in relationships if all of it ultimately comes to nothing? If, as they tell us, We simply live and move and have our being and then we die and it's over. For the last weeks we've, we've looked at what the Bible has to say about the end, about eternity, about what happens to us when we die, about what happens at the consummation of all things when Christ returns and the new heavens and the new earth appear and the, and the new city Jerusalem in which We will dwell. All of that. And the modern world and the modern mind tells us nonsense. Paul tells us that God has a plan. The mystery of His will which He purposed in Christ. If you look down at verse 11, he says, In Him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Paul's even more specific there. According to the plan of Him who works it all out. That sounds very much like Romans chapter 8 as we've looked at that before, right? And, And how the Apostle Paul there says that everything is working together for the good of those who love God and have been called according to His purpose. God, God has a plan. For some of us, that's challenging. For some of us, we hear that and we think, if God has a plan, what role do I have in it? How can I possibly play a part in that? And, and, and doesn't that just mean I'm a robot? The Bible talks about that as well. It talks about your role and my role in God's plan. Is God... Sovereign over all things, and does he have a plan that he's working out? And everything works together in that plan? Absolutely. And are you and I responsible creatures created, given a will that we exercise day in and day out? And what does the Bible tell us? Absolutely. Yes to both of those. And how God works those together? I don't know. It's a mystery how he, how he works both his will and your actions out in Scripture. But what do we see? We see that over and over and over again. Joseph in Genesis 50, having 
gone through his life a somewhat spoiled child and and had all of those interactions with his brothers and then been carried off into captivity down into Egypt and then having risen up through the ranks in Pharaoh's court, he ends up with his brothers before him making the statement, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And we look at that and we say, couldn't couldn't God have just avoided all of that, all of that pain and all of those struggles and all of that heartache? When you read the story and you see the brothers before Joseph, you know they're in a very difficult position. This is their brother that they left for dead and then sold to slave traders. And now they're standing before him. It's a, it's, it's a heart-breaking passage to read. Couldn't we have just avoided all of that? Couldn't God's plan have just avoided all of those difficult moments? All of that heartache, the cruelty, treason towards a family member. And then everything that Joseph went through in Pharaoh's court, even though. But Joseph recognizes it. What does he recognize? He recognizes that his brothers were living and doing. And they meant things for evil. But God's sovereign design and plan over it all meant that he meant it for good. And it's an amazing picture of God having that plan and yet there being actors in that plan. People that are living out their lives. And God wove it together. What about Peter's sermon? Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This is Peter's first shot out of the gate as he's preaching in Acts. And you remember the text, but listen to the way that Peter lays it out for them. As he says this in verse 23, beginning in verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited By God to you, by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You see right there in Peter's sermon this acknowledgement that, that God has sent Jesus into the world. But that the, the, the hands of men, those men to whom Peter was preaching, they participated in and, and crucified him. They took very active role. And of course, we know that God raised him from the dead and has given him a seat at his right hand. Again, showing that he's working everything together according to his plan. You know, the amazing part about that is we have this little saying, and and I think it comes to us from the military, right? That no battle plan survives the first engagement. What that means is, you know, in the military and in 
football, as I was watching yesterday, there's a strategy, there's a, there's a plan. And, and we, we go into the, we go into the battle with execution orders, and this is how we're going to carry it out. And we get in there, and circumstances change, and things happen, and the plan has to be modified and changed and adapted in order to overcome. And, and at football, in, in, in the sport of football, we always see at the, at the halftime, right, uh, the coach is being interviewed on the, on the field, either going or coming, and you can hear it in his voice, right? Well, we've got some adjustments to do. We've got to make some changes. And they, they talk about, you know, it's a, a great second-half team because he's able to make those adjustments and adapt his team's play style to what the other team is doing. When you come to Scripture, however, what you hear is that before the foundation of the world, God set His plan in motion. And he's been at work. He's not caught off guard. He's not surprised. He's working it all to his glorious ends. We've looked at most recently the the passage in Acts chapter 27, where, as you recall, the Apostle Paul is on the ship. And he's there and, and the, the, the ship is being driven by the storm and things are bad and, and they're not sure what is going to happen. And Paul has a vision. The angel of the Lord appears to him and tells him, Paul, you must stand trial in Rome. And so Paul goes and he tells the, the folks that are there on the boat, listen, everything's going to work out. We will all be saved. None of you will be harmed. And then just a mere two or three verses later, he notices that the sailors are letting down a lifeboat and they're preparing to climb into that lifeboat and sail off because they've taken soundings and they know they're running ashore. And the sailors are saying to themselves, now is the time for us to get off. And you remember Paul's words. He goes to him and he says, he says to the Roman centurions, if those men leave the boat, we will all die. And you scratch your head and you say, which is it? Is it you're all going to be rescued and everything will work out? Or is it that things are going to go bad? And we see there in that passage God's sovereign plan and design. And yet man is very active at work in it. So don't be, don't be put off. Don't be scared by the idea that God is sovereign over it all and He's predestined it and He is working it out and yet you are an active participant in His plan sovereignly under His control living your life. Those two in God's economy work together. Here's the next thing I want you to see and that's that God's plan ends and begins In Jesus. Verse 10. Which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Paul uses this statement in the fullness of time. When things have reached their fulfillment. 
And, and simply what that is, is when the time is right. When the time is right, as God has ordained it, and everything comes together exactly as He planned it, then He will bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now, as we've worked our way through the heaven series, one of the things that we've said is that the new heavens and the new earth will be as one, right? And here you begin to see and hear some of that. And what Paul is saying is that, look, at the end of all things, when when the plan has reached the end, all right? And, and when that happens, all things will be put together under Christ Jesus. So He is the head and He is the one in whom all things are drawn together. Now, when we, when we look at that, there's a tendency and, and some of what we could begin to think is, okay, so at the end of all things, the new heavens and the new earth appear, that's where everything will be finally made right. Until then, we're just going to have to suck it up. Because it's rough. And it is a rough ride. But I want you to know this. It isn't just a rough ride with no unity happening. That's not God's plan. If you turn over to chapter 2, you'll see that Paul begins there to talk about some of this unity. Ephesians chapter 2, which... We, we normally, as we, as we look at it, we think about the, the, uh, the section that talks about how our salvation is by grace through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. And that is also very true, right? And, and that's a powerful section. But it goes on. If you look at verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called un- uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ and you were excluded from citizenship. And then he goes on and he says, but now you have been made one. You have been brought together. And what Paul is saying is, listen, this unity that we long for, right? This unity that we ultimately know is concluded and finalized in the new heavens and the new earth. That unity begins in Christ now. It begins in you and I and in our fellowships with one another. It begins in in community. It, it, It begins in the church. And so we don't have to wait. It's not something that only is achieved when the new heavens and the new earth appear when all things are brought together in Christ, it's something we want to pray for and long for and look for now because it's already happening now. He is already drawing us together. And the illustration that he uses is Jew and Gentile, right? So two groups that formerly were opposed and separated. And he says there was a wall of hostility between them. But now... Those two have been made one. The wall of hostility has come down, and the two are together. I hope you hear that. I hope that resonates for you, that longing, that desire to see walls of hostility come down and people unified together. 
you don't have to, to be a rocket scientist to know that just it doesn't take a whole lot to divide us as people. It could be, you know, in, in your minds, you feel as though you're divided because of your political persuasion, Republican, Democrat, independent. Do you have to be? I, I mean, MSNBC and CNN and Fox News, they want you to be. But do you have to be? No, you don't have to be. We don't have to be divided. And I think what Paul is telling us here is God's plan is to unify his people. To draw us all together in ultimately one great big fellowship where the wall of hostility is finally, completely done away with. That's the ultimate end, right? God's plan begins and ends with the unity of all that is redeemed in Christ Jesus. Look how he says it. Put into effect when times reach their fulfillment, when it's the right time to bring unity to what? All things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And as I've said, He's already doing it. Are you praying for that? Are you, but, or are you stoking the fires of division in your life? It's easy to find things to be divided over. A much more challenging going against the grain, right, of society to find things to be united over. Let's look at the last part. God's plan is all about His glory. This is a wonderful, wonderful thing for us to think about as you just finish this out, right? Because for us, it's a delight to live, to enjoy God's creation. All of the good things that He's given to us, and, and we often talk here about the lake life and what a beautiful place we live in and, and, uh, and, and all the good things that God has given to us that we're able to enjoy here in this area and all of that. But, but we don't ever want to lose sight that it is all, everything that we do, right? And, you know, the way Paul talks about it, whether we eat or drink, Whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. Our shorter catechism begins with the question, what is the chief end of man? Meaning, what, is, what are we created for? And the answer is that the, our chief end, the reason that we were created is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I want you to look, verses 6, 12, and 14. Verse 6. To the praise, what? Of His glorious grace. Verse 12. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ Jesus, might be for the praise of His glory. And then at the very end, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, 
to the praise of His glory. It's laced all throughout this section, right? What is the end? What's the ultimate end of God's predestination of things? What is the ultimate end of His plan? What is the ultimate end of the election and and the calling of the church? It's for His glory. It's because it brings Him glory. And that's that's why it matters to us. Listen, a number of years ago, John Piper uh, kind of came out with this thing that he calls Christian hedonism. And, and, and the idea, and, and he, he kind of, it's, it's an anathema really to Presbyterians, right? But he kind of rewrote that first question in the catechism. And, uh, and he said that we glorify, um, you know, we, we, how does he say it? We are most glorified. God is most glorified in us when we are, yeah, yeah, in Him. I, I think I'm messing that up. But, but, but the general idea was, right, that as we live and as we flourish in life, okay, that brings glory to God. And so we enjoy all of the good things that God has given to us in life. And as we go out, as we enjoy all of that, in doing that, we are bringing glory to Him. And so think about how that works together as, as we're thinking about flourishing in this life. Right? Because we, for so many weeks now, we've been thinking about heaven and we've talked about all of those questions. Remember all the questions you had? What are my relationships going to be like? Uh, you know, am I going to be able to do this in heaven? Am I going to be able to do that in heaven? All those very practical things that we want to know about. The Bible really doesn't just come out and tell us. And so a lot of it is speculation. Will there be coffee in heaven? You know? Um, will there be football in heaven? It, 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 all of these just really practical questions. And, and the answer is, maybe? And, and the answer really is right here. And, and the answer is that God gets glory when you and I flourish in living. Because that's how He made us. Remember last week, we went back to the beginning of the story. So go back to the beginning of the story. Back to the beginning of the story is Adam in the garden. And if Adam is living out life the way God intended it, then he's working in the garden. And if he's working in the garden, what is he doing to God? He's bringing glory to Him. Right? That, that's how He originally designed it. And so, in the new heavens and the new earth, you and I will live and move and have our being and, and whatever that new heavens and that new earth is like and all the experiences that He gives to us and, and, and all the opportunities we have, we will be fully and finally flourishing exactly the way that God intended it. And that mysteriously, will bring God glory. But here's the, here's the amazing part of that. And that is, you and I are already redeemed. The Holy Spirit has, has, been, has sealed us in Christ. And so even now, right, as we work and as we push towards unity in our relationships, even now as we 
go out and as we serve and love our neighbors as He's called us to do, as we live just a little slice of that heavenly existence now, we bring Him glory. As you flourish today, you bring Him glory. And you get to participate even now and what that eternity will be at the consummation of all things. And that's the beautiful part of His plan, right? As you think about it, in Christ. So Christ pulls us all together. He draws us together in unity. And that is the ultimate focus of His plan, is to unify all things that it might bring Him glory. And as you and I are unified, as we flourish in life, that brings God glory. We look forward to the ultimate consummation when we will do that perfectly. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness to us. And Father, we are, um, we are blessed by the way in which You have begun Your work in us, calling us in Christ Jesus, drawing us together to Yourself and to one another. Father, thank You that we get to live in this community together. We get to love our neighbors And Father, I pray that you'll be at work as we do that. Um, Father, creating that unity that Christ himself prayed for, that we long for, that you might get glory and that it would be good for your people. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.